will tomorrow ever come? Huh. Hmm, why can a fish get seasick? I have a question. Why does the Easter Bunny bring eggs if rabbits do not lay eggs? The opposite of opposite the same or opposite? What? Why is a pizza box square when a pizza is round? If the truth is different for each of us, how can we call it the truth? If you have a Bible, either a printed copy or a digital copy on your phone, I encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error first matter. It is the supreme source of truth. For what we believe and how we live. Now open up your copy of God's Word with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're in a series in which you have actually chosen the topics. We've called it Q&A, your questions, the Bible's answers. And the question for today is one that stirs up strong emotions, regardless of what you believe, regardless of where you stand. It seems like people on both sides get so emotional that it makes it almost impossible to have civil conversations when we talk about this issue. And many on both sides try to bully and intimidate those who have different views and opinions. And I think one of the reasons we get so emotional when we talk about this issue is because every one of us either knows someone or perhaps we are that someone who identifies with this question. Now, several questions came in on this issue, but this is the one I want to read to you this morning. Listen to it. Should a Christian mother disown her child if they make it known that they are gay? Is she accepting his behavior if she allows him to visit her and stay in his old room? Is it wrong to witness to the gay community? Aren't we still to love and pray for them? If you can't lose your salvation, do gay Christians go to heaven? Now, my heart breaks as I read this question. I know this mom is struggling with what to do, with how to respond. I can feel the love that she has for her child and yet her desire to walk in obedience to her Lord. So what I want to do is answer her question specifically and then I want to answer the question a little more generally, if I may. First, no, you... Don't disown your child. The Bible teaches that we love our children unconditionally and we never stop loving them. And yes, it's okay to let them visit and stay in their old room and you should still love and pray for them, but you have to set parameters. You cannot compromise your values. No, it's not wrong to witness to the gay community. We're called to witness to all people who we feel like are apart from God. Now, as far as the question, do gays go to heaven? I'm going to answer that question in a few minutes. Now, because we're not just talking about issues, we're talking about people, I want to begin by 
telling you about four people that have been a part of my life, if I may. The first one is a man who lived in the neighborhood that I grew up in. He was one of the nicest guys you would ever meet. When I became a teenager, I remember some of the other kids calling him various names. When I became a young adult, we began playing tennis together, and I would share with him how Jesus had changed my life. This man is still one of the nicest men I've ever met. The second guy is someone I went to school with my first year of college. He was a member of my fraternity. He was involved in student government, and he had the opportunity to see two very different sides of my life. He saw me without Jesus, and he saw me with Jesus because it was during that first year of college that I truly surrendered everything to Jesus. I quit running from Jesus. I lost touch with him for well over 30 years, but then I reconnected with him on Facebook. And we've had a number of conversations, private messages on Facebook. He now lives on the West Coast with his partner. The third is a young man I met in the late 80s at a hospital in the upstate. I got a call from a complete stranger one day asking me if I would go to the hospital and visit this young man who was dying of AIDS. And I gladly went to his room. And, and as I sat there and talked to him, I developed a love for him almost immediately. It was, it was nothing short of a supernatural love. My heart went out for him. And as I shared with him the gospel and how he needed to repent... And turn from his sins. He initially rejected the gospel. But over a period of time. As I was sharing with him. He was convicted of his sin. Repented. Trusted Jesus to be his savior. Got saved. I don't know if that young man is still alive or not. But I believe with all my heart. One day I'm going to see him in heaven. The final guy is a friend who joined the church. I was pastoring in Orlando. Before we moved to Lexington. He and his wife had three children at the time, and he was vice president of an organization called Exodus International. Shortly after marrying his wife, he wrote his wife a letter saying that he couldn't live a lie anymore, that he was gay, and he left her. But his wife continued to love him. She refused to let him go. And so she prayed for him and got other people to pray for him. And a little over a year after he moved out, on an Easter Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit of God strangely drew his heart to a church in the community he was living in. And he went to church that Sunday morning, and the pastor was preaching on how Jesus suffered and died so that we could be set free from our sins. And the Holy Spirit convicted him, and he gave his heart and life to Jesus. And he's still serving the Lord today in the local church church i tell you about these four guys to let you know i have friends who are and who have been gay we have people that come to our church regularly who are and who have been gay i have friends who have kids who are gay and i don't consider myself any better than any of them or any of you truth be told when i look at my sins my failures my shortcomings i can say with the apostle paul i am the chief of all sinners the most undeserving sinner I see every day is the one I see in the mirror when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror I don't deserve God's mercy I don't deserve God's grace and yet he loves me and he died to save me and set me free from the power of sin and death 
And I want you to know that regardless of who you are and what you've done and what lifestyle you may be living, you were created by God in his very own image. And he loves you so much that he sent his son so that you could spend eternity with him. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, doesn't the Bible say that if you're gay, you're an abomination? And I would say to you, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible never calls any human being an abomination. The Bible does use that language to refer to certain actions, certain sins. But the Bible never refers to people as abominations. So if you're gay and you've been told the Bible tells you that you're an abomination, it doesn't. What the Bible says is that your love, the God of this universe, is madly in love with you. The Bible says you were made in the image of God. God made you in his image. And as a human being who bears the image of Almighty God, you are worthy of value, dignity, and respect. And you should never be bullied or spoken down to, called names, and disrespected. The Bible says that you're a work of art. It says that God, like an artist, knits you together in your mother's womb. It says that you're not an accident, you're not a mistake, you were created for purpose, with a purpose. The Bible says that God desires a relationship with you so much that he sent Jesus as a sacrifice for you. So that's what the Bible says about you individually, personally. So what does the Bible say about the homosexual lifestyle? Well, the reality is it says a pretty good bit. I want you to listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. I want you to listen closely because every word is important. Paul begins this way, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality. And those are two different terms to describe different aspects of the homosexual life. Or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Don't miss that. Paul tells them that you once were just like what I described. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I want to unpack this question or this passage this morning and several others to answer four questions. The first question is this, is homosexuality a sin? And in answering that question, I want to remind you that sin is breaking God's law. It is rebellion against God. So God, not man, determines what sin is. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. We have this idea today that we have the right to determine right and wrong for us. But we don't. We can't. God does. God is our creator, and one day God will be our judge. So he is the one who gets to determine what is right and what is wrong. So the question, is homosexuality a sin? Well, the Bible makes it clear that it is. In Genesis 19, God destroyed two cities and the surrounding areas because the sin and the wickedness of that area had become so wicked and so unnatural that God had to destroy it. 
And in speaking of this, in Jude chapter 1, verse 7, it says, And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. This sin was so prevalent that the very name of this ancient city is the word that we get our word sodomy from. A word that is used to describe homosexual sin. It's clear that homosexuality was a part of why God destroyed these two cities and the surrounding areas. But as we move on to Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20, we read twice in God's law, do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. And as you read through the book of Leviticus, you're told about a number of sins. God is giving his law to his people, his standard that he wants them to live by. But I don't want you to miss something. God singles out this sin. And he says that this sin is a detestable sin. This sin is an abomination. And the reason it is, is because this sin is against the way God created us. This sin goes against God's natural order. Now, we discover that in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this, That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Earlier in this passage, Paul tells us that God had made himself known to everyone. And yet man refused to worship God. Man refused to give God thanks. They chose to replace the truth about God with their own foolish ideas. They chose to believe a lie rather than a truth. And because of that, the Apostle Paul tells us their minds became dark and confused. And because of that, God abandoned them to their shameful desires. In other words, when we turn our back on the truth of who God is and what God's Word says, we become more confused and our minds become more darkened. Now, notice what he says. Paul says they exchanged the natural, what is normal, for the unnatural. And as a result, their lives became filled with every kind of wickedness. And that's what has happened today. We have substituted God's truth for our truth, and it has led us into this moral cesspool that we find ourselves in today. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be fooled, don't be deceived. For us to think that we can live and do whatever we want because it feels right or because we think it's right is self-deception, which leads to self-destruction. The Bible clearly teaches that homosexuality, just like many other things, are sins, the result of our fallen nature. I want you to hear me. Homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is not the sin. But the Bible does make it clear that there is something unique about sexual sin. All sexual sin. Homosexual sin 
heterosexual sin. That's why the Bible says that we are to flee sexual immorality because it has this ability to grab hold of us and control us like nothing else can. Now, one of the big questions today when it comes to sex, sexuality, and, and sin is are we born a certain way or do we become a certain way? People tend to say that if we're born gay, it must be natural. If it's natural, then it certainly must be moral. But the truth of the matter is all of us are born with a particular genetic makeup that has a determinative effect on who we are and how we live. You see, the Bible teaches that we are born into a fallen world and we are born with a fallen nature. One of the core doctrines of our Christian faith is the depravity of man. We believe that no part of humanity has escaped the fall and no part of us escapes the effects of the fall. Every part of our being has been affected by sin. And so do some people have a genetic makeup that gives them a stronger propensity toward homosexuality? Probably. Just like some people have a stronger propensity to alcoholism or a stronger propensity to anger and rage or a stronger propensity to heterosexual sin. You see, we are all born sinners, but that's no excuse for our sin. Because we are born with certain desires doesn't give us the right to act on those desires. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? See, the Bible says our heart, our emotions have this incredible ability to convince us that wrong is right. It's deceptive. Today we hear people say things like, follow your heart. Listen to your heart. But the Bible says, watch out. Your heart will deceive you. Follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. So is homosexuality a sin? Yes, homosexuality is a sin. So the next question, can a person live a homosexual lifestyle and go to heaven? Now this question is really no different than, can I practice adultery and go to heaven? Can I, can I sleep around habitually and, and go to heaven? Can I live a life of greed and go to heaven? Can I live a life of crime and go to heaven? You see, this question is not about being tempted. It's not even about falling to a sin. It's talking about a lifestyle of sin. And the real question here is, can anyone who is continuing to live a sinful lifestyle, regardless of what that lifestyle may be, really be saved? And let me say this again because this is important. The real question is, can anyone who continues to live in a lifestyle of sin, regardless of what that sin is, really be saved? Another question that came in for this series was this. If you accept Jesus into your heart and you keep on doing the same sins, do you still go to heaven? Because the Word says nothing can take Jesus from us. Well, the Bible really doesn't say nothing can take Jesus from us. That's not what it says. Understand what, what the question is. But you need to understand what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. It says, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living the truth. Did you hear that? Those are sobering words. 
If someone says, I know God, I'm a Christian, but they do not obey God's man commands, the Bible says they're a liar. The truth is not in them. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show up more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in sin? The Bible says that when we're saved, we die to sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul gives us a list of sins, fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, stealing, greed, drunkenness, abuse, slander. And he says, no one who does these things will inherit the kingdom of God. Now what you need to understand is Paul isn't giving us an exhaustive list of sins. He's given us some of the sins that the people in Corinth had struggled with. But the truth of the matter is, probably most of us in this room are guilty of some of these sins. And Paul is not saying if we ever committed any of these sins, we can't go to heaven. He's not saying that if we've struggled with some of these sins, we can't go to heaven. What he's talking about is, are we controlled by these sins? Are we choosing to live a life of sin? You see, the Bible makes it clear that heaven is for those who want to be free from the power of sin. We have this idea today that heaven is for everyone who doesn't want to go to hell. Well, who wants to go to hell? I mean, anyone who knows what hell is isn't going to vote for hell. I mean, the Bible says it's an unquenching fire. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of aloneness. It's a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who's going to choose that? Nobody. Nobody wants to go to hell. You see, heaven isn't for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is for people who want to be free from the power of sin and have a relationship with God. True confession time. I've committed sexual sin. I've been drunk. I've struggled with greed. I've stolen. I've cheated people. I'm guilty. But the Holy Spirit of God convicted me of my sin. And more than anything else, I wanted to be set free from the power of sin in my life. And I called upon Jesus and asked him to save me and set me free. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus changed my life. Now listen, that's not saying that I don't still struggle. I do. There are times that I fall on my face, but in my heart... More than anything else, I want to live for Jesus. Are there times that I crave sin? You better believe it. Because the Bible says there is a battle raging between us or inside of us. But because the Holy Spirit of God is living in me, and that's what the Bible says happens when we're saved, I have a desire to live for Jesus as well. And I can choose Jesus. I can choose holiness. I can choose righteousness. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, if, if you want to go to heaven, but you want the freedom to live in your sin, you have never been saved. If you think that praying some generic prayer when you were a six-year-old is going to get you in heaven, you're wrong. It's not. You're going to go to heaven when you're convicted of your sin 
You turn, you repent of that sin, you trust Jesus, and you surrender your life to him, saying, I want to live under your control from here on out in my life. And understand, I get it. There are some of you here right now who are struggling because you have children who prayed a prayer when they were young. And you are hoping upon hope that that prayer is going to get them into heaven. I get it. My 25-year-old son, Josh, passed away in 2017. He wasn't living for the Lord. We had a number of conversations. To be honest with you, I don't know Josh's heart. I just know he wasn't living for the Lord. And I struggle regularly with whether I'm going to see Josh again. Because just because Josh prayed some prayer when he was six years old, that the Bible says those who endure to the end will be saved. And so if you're here today and you're struggling, you go, what about my son? What about my daughter? I get it. I understand. But that's where you trust in the mercy and grace of God. And you let God be God. My desire is when I close my eyes here on this earth and I open my eyes in heaven, one of the first faces I'm going to see is Josh with that big toothy grin. He's probably going to come up to me and say, you didn't think I was going to make it, did you? I hope that happens. But I don't know. And see, the truth of the matter is, is I don't know any of your hearts. You don't know my heart. But if your heart hasn't had a desire to turn from sin... You're not saved. Quit deceiving yourself. Because one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. So can a homosexual go to heaven who's practicing that lifestyle of sin? Well, I don't know their heart when they pass away. But what I would say if they're choosing sin over holiness, no, they're not going to heaven. Just like the adulterer who is cheating on his wife is not going to go to heaven. Just like that college kid who's sleeping around with as many girls as he can is not going to heaven. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin and death. Third thing, can God set us a homosexual free? Praise God, the answer to that is without a shadow of a doubt, he can. God can set sinners free. That's why he came. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Later on, he said, and if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. The Apostle Paul said the good news is because of Jesus, now you are free from the slavery of sin. You see, Christians are those who want to be set free from slavery to sin. I love 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. It says, some of you were once like that. You were fornicators. You were adulterers. You were cheaters. You were liars. You were homosexuals. You were drunkards. You were partiers. You were all of these things, but, but, you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to live in us. 
Paul says we're cleansed, we're made holy, we're made right with God by calling on the Lord and by the power of the Spirit in our life. Calling on the Lord means turning away from our self-ruled, sin-filled life and turning to Jesus, worshiping Him as the Lord and the Master of our life. I've discovered that we often gloss over our, in our culture one part of what it means to be a Christian in that self-denial. You see, Jesus said, if I want to be a Christian, I must take up my cross and, and follow Him. What Jesus is saying is hard. He said, if I want to follow him, I must deny myself. I must die to myself. I must crucify my desires. Jesus is saying that if I want to faithfully follow him, I must turn from my desire to lust and turn to him. I must turn from my greedy desires to put myself before others and and follow him. I must stop making money an idol and thinking that my security is in my bank account and follow him. You see, to follow Jesus is to let go of those desires in order to faithfully follow him. So what does it mean for a gay person who wants to come to Christ? Well, it means what it means for anyone and everyone else. It means we must turn from ourselves and our own desires and turn to Christ and trust him and follow him. You see, the Christian calling is a call to self-denial. It's a call for us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's a call to choose holiness over sinfulness, regardless of what our orientation may be. So that leads us to the third question. How should I, as a Christian, respond to someone living a homosexual lifestyle? Well, I would think for those of us who know Jesus, our desire would be to respond like Jesus. Would you agree? So how did Jesus respond to sinners? Well, the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. He ate with them. He ministered to them. He loved them. Do you remember the story of the woman caught in the very act of adultery? Jesus was in the temple teaching, and they brought this woman to Jesus who, was, without a doubt, was guilty of adultery. She had been caught in the very act, and And the law said that a person caught in the act of adultery would be stoned. That's what she deserved. The religious leaders brought her before Jesus and said, what should we do with her? The law says stone her. But Jesus didn't answer. He he knelt down on the ground and began to scribble in the dirt. We don't know what he scribbled. He just started scribbling. But they continued to press him for an answer. They continued to ask him and hound him. So Jesus finally got up and said, okay, stoner. But you that are without sin, you be the first one to cast a stone. And then Jesus knelt back down and started scribbling in the dirt again. Then the Bible says something miraculous happened. The Bible says those religious leaders from the youngest to the oldest began to throw down their stones and walk away. Until there was no one left but Jesus and the woman. Jesus looked up and he said, woman, does no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And then Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now, how could Jesus say this? Jesus was the righteous, sinless Son of God. Sin deserves death. 
And we're all sinners, right? How could Jesus not condemn her? I believe the reason Jesus could not condemn her is because he was about to take her condemnation upon himself. He was about to go to the cross and die for all of her sins. So Jesus showed her compassion. But he didn't compromise. He said, go. Leave your life of sin. You see, Jesus is not condemning and he's not compromising. Jesus is compassionate and forgiving, but he calls us to change. Jesus never saves us and leaves us in our sin. He loves us too much for that. And we as Christ followers are called to do the same thing. We are called to love people right where they are while all the while calling them to leave their life of sin. And it's hard at times to balance that, isn't it? But that's what we're called to do. So what about you? What's your sin? It may not be homosexuality, but what is it? I mean, do you think that you can live your lifestyle of sin? Go to heaven? Without being changed? Now, someone will evidently say, well, the thief on the cross wasn't changed. Oh, yes, he was. Oh, yes, he was. I mean, he was cursing Jesus. And as he saw Jesus on that cross, something happened to him. And his entire attitude changed. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Something changed him. The grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. And at that moment, he turned from sin and turned to Jesus and said, I need your help. Jesus said, you got it. What about you? Have you turned from your sin? Giving Jesus control of your life? Oh, dear brother and sister, don't think because you prayed some generic prayer in VBS when you was a kid that you're going to go to heaven. If you prayed that prayer and your heart wasn't changed, that prayer did you no good. Regardless of whether you're 6 or 16 or 66, when Jesus saves you, he changes you. He makes a difference in your life. Have you been changed? Have you turned from sin? Have you desire? Do you have a desire to live for Jesus with all your heart? Only you know the answer to that. I don't. But if the answer is no, right now you know what you need. I want to beg you. Give your life to Jesus. Father God, this is your time. And I want you to have your way in each and every one of our lives. Father, I pray that no one, no one, no one will leave this building today without, Father, repenting of their sin and crying out to you for mercy because of your shed blood. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will do in the hearts and lives of people what man cannot do or change people from the inside out. 
I beg you, Father, in Jesus' name, to do that in people's lives. From children to teenagers to adults. Amen. I want you to stand with me.